0: to second to Peter, the second epistle of the Apostle Peter. Uh, the text that we'll be looking at is primarily in that first chapter. <clears throat> and then if you're following along in your study guide, you will probably land somewhere around page forty eight and you can follow along uh, there as as well. Last week, Brother Mark brought a wonderful message and lesson out of first uh, Peter, the first epistle of Peter that uh, helped us to realize that uh, <clears throat> that we have joy, and we can have joy as God's people, even in the midst of trials and, and hard times, such as persecution. And, and, and what a note of encouragement that was to those early disciples and early followers of Christ in a time of great persecution. And we face times of hardship and struggle and and I believe days ahead will be uh, days of, of, of persecution for Christians. And so it's good to know that we have that encouragement. And so as we turn our attention to the second epistle of the Apostle Peter, we find that he has given us here um, instructions from, from God's word, uh, how God is equipping us to live out our Christian identity and, and how God is working in you and me as Christians to be able to to live a life of of, of, of hope and uh, and and yet everything that we need to live a life that glorifies God and that that comes through godly living. We can bring glory to God and that's our ultimate purpose on this earth is to glorify God in the way that we live and, and God equips us to do that. Now you'll see that in this first chapter of of uh, second Peter and you know, I was thinking what a travesty unthinkable tragedy it would be if our government were to send one of our special military teams on a mission say the Navy Seals and, and send them on a mission behind enemy lines where they're facing treacherous danger and 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 the government neglects to prepare and equip them uh, for such a mission what what a tragedy that would be the good news is we look in second in Peter and, and, and we see that God always is faithful to equip his people to live the life that he calls and expects us to live and so as we look into this portion of God's Word this morning I want you to see three things three things that we'll focus on in, in the text that we'll look at first of all God's people pursue godly living through what Jesus has done, not our own merit, not our own efforts, but what Jesus through what Jesus has done and God expects us to live godly lives that he didn't send his son into this world to suffer and to die, to be resurrected from the grave so that we would simply have a ticket to heaven. God has expectations for his people after our salvation is that we would live godly lives that would glorify him. So, God's people pursue godly living through what Jesus has done, but also God's people pursue godly living with effort, our effort. And we'll look at that. God's people pursue godly living to confirm their calling. You see, Jesus calls and equips his disciples, his people, to live godly lives, to godly living, which confirms the fact that we are God's children. If we live godly lives, lives that reflect the godliness of our Lord, then that is evidence that we are truly followers of Christ. God has not called us to lives of perfection, and I say amen, but he does call call us to live lives that demonstrate to those around us that we're not of this world. We are set apart and different from those who are, uh, of the world who are lost who are unsaved who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ so without further ado let's go ahead and look at the first portion of scripture that you'll find there in 2nd Peter in chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 1st Peter or 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 God's people pursue godly living through what Jesus has done this is this is such a powerful and wonderful and timely message to follow up here on Easter, because the point of Easter is that Jesus Christ came to do for you and me that which we could never do for ourselves, and that is pay the price for the penalty of our sins. And in doing so, Jesus was of course crucified, buried, and on the third day, Easter, which we celebrate, Jesus was raised victoriously uh, from the from the grave, and in doing so, has bestowed that wonderful gift of eternal life upon you and I who believe. Listen to what Peter says as we begin reading it there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Peter says, his divine power, now talking about God, this is not our power, this is God's power. It's not our strength, it's God's power. His divine power has given us, and Peter uses there the perfect power Past participle which puts conveys continuing results even in the present in other words God by God's divine power he has given he is given and he will continue to give everything everything required for life and that would be salvation everything you need to be saved to be redeemed from the penalty of your sins, God has provided everything required for life, salvation and the assurance of salvation. I think about in 1 John chapter 5 verse 12 where it says he says if if those who have life uh, or who have the son of God have life, those who do not have the son of God do not have life. So we have the assurance of eternal salvation. But also he says everything required for life and godliness and this is sanctification this is where we're set apart to live a life that demonstrates christ in us everything we have everything we need to do that god has provided for godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness by these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire in other words because of our own flesh nature I think about when he talks about the great promises that God has given us we know that we have the promise of Romans 10:13: whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved we have the assurance of John 14:16, where Jesus says, "I won't leave you in this world as little orphans. I will pray to the Father, and He will send the Holy Spirit." We have the promise of Matthew 28:20, 20, where Jesus says, uh, "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world." We have the promise of Philippians 4:13, where the Apostle Paul says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." There's so many wonderful promises, and that's just a sampling of those that we have as God's people. We've been called by God. We've been been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be set apart to live a life that demonstrates to those around us the power of God in us. Not only to save us, but the power of God in us through his Holy Spirit that enables us to to live a life of godliness and that that is the mark that sets us apart from those around us you see god gives us opportunity to get to know our savior more and more that's the cue for us to to to, to live a life that is it very much imitating christ and you say well how do i get to know jesus to know him better and better we have the word of God that is given to us, the infallible, inerrant word of God that, that, that is given to us. We have the Holy Spirit who uses the scriptures and uses the gospel to, to, to proclaim the truths of God that changes our lives and help us helps us to live the life that sets us apart to live godly lives. And this is what sanctification is. It's, it's being uh, set apart from the world. So, you know, you think about what are, what are some ways that we receive the knowledge of Jesus? We, we, how do you get to know Christ? How well do you know Jesus Christ? And how do you learn about the Lord that you are seeking to imitate in your life? We know that hearing the gospel proclaimed is one way. We know that reading the scriptures in our Bible study is another way to come to know Jesus. Another way that we get to know the Lord is through sharing time of Bible study with, with others in small groups and studying the word and discussing the word of God and, and, and letting, letting God speak through, through that group to our hearts. So you see, God has, has given us the opportunity to, to get to know him. And so when we are talking about living lives of godliness that reveal Christ to those around us and authenticates who we are as, as God's people, we're talking about taking on the nature of God you know God created every human being with human nature and and, you know the the reason that 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 we don't fly like birds fly is because we don't have the nature that God created the birds with but you know when God created the first man and woman back in Genesis in chapter 1 and verse 26 we know that God created Adam and Eve in his image and, and and God is, is, is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. And, and, and that was the moral makeup of that first couple. But we know tragically, because of their rebellion and sin against God, that they lost that, that wonderful God nature that had been created in them. And they in turn Took on sin and that was the fall And, and, and there went that that godly nature that they had at creation they lost it in the fall and 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 so every person born subsequent to Adam and Eve you and me every person was born with this sinful nature a sinful nature that tends to cause us to rebel against God to disobey God's Word to to distrust the Lord But this is what we celebrate at Easter is the fact that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Just as Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes Adam as being that second, uh, being the first man, the first man who was taken from the earth and and, and the, the, the first man who rebelled against God and fell into sin. Jesus Christ is what Paul describes as the second Adam. Not from the earth, but from heaven. Not subject to sin, but perfect in holiness. And Jesus Christ came into this world to give his life, to pay the price for our sins, to make available to us the opportunity to take on the wonderful second nature of God. And that's what sets us apart. We cannot live godly lives without Christ dwelling in us. I think it's captured beautifully in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So when we talk about living and pursuing godly living, we can only do it through what Jesus Christ has done for us. But let's also look and see as we look further in 2nd Peter chapter 1 in verse 5. Through seven because we learned that not only does God's people pursue godly living through what Jesus has done for them but God's people pursue godly living with effort there's nothing about the Christian life that was intended to be passive as if oh well here I am God do your thing you know (laughs) And, and, and I'll just I'll go along for the ride oh no No, God intends for us to be actively engaged in the life that he gives us so that we can achieve not our salvation, because we know that the scripture makes it very abundantly clear for by grace through faith. Are you saved that not by yourselves? It's a gift of God, not of yourselves. It is. It is a gift of God. And not by by works so we know that we're saved by by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ but then after we're saved we have a part to play and in and join in, in joining God in becoming the people that he has designed us to be and redeemed us to be look with me there in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 5 for this very reason make every effort to supplement Your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. God's people are called to make every effort to add to our faith and live in the way that looks like the life of Christ so that we can we can become the people that God has called to be this this quote was in your study guide by Jerry Bridges it says faith is not only necessary to salvation it is also necessary to live a life pleasing to God faith enables us to claim the promises of God but it also enables us to obey the commands of God in Philippians chapter 2 The apostle Paul says, for it is God who works in you to, to do the will of God. Listen to what Paul says there in those verses. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure and so paul is telling us there that god puts that desire in our hearts to live the life that he has called us to do that sets us apart distinguishes us and and that includes the characteristics that 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 peter just named there in addition to your faith strive to allow the spirit of god to bring goodness into your life, goodness that reflects the goodness of God. And and then after that, knowledge, like the knowledge of God and, and so on. We think about living the Christian life. And, and sometimes people think, well, I, it's just good enough that I wear the label, that I can talk about an experience that I had and therefore, you know, not have any real genuine evidence of that. I think about what the the Apostle James and James had had a tendency to just speak very uh, out front and in your face about living the Christian life listen to what James says about living a life that that puts effort and good works behind your faith he says what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food uh, or destitute of daily food and one of you says depart in peace Be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which is needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead I'm afraid there are too many Christians who are going around out there with dead faith Faith that, that makes no difference. It makes no difference in the way they live their lives. They live, that Their standards are just as low and immoral as those of people who are ungodly. Those are people who are of the world. People that, that go around and claim to be Christians and they, they never demonstrate the truthfulness of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what James is saying. The, the lesson writer gives you there on page 49 what we call the fill in the blanks. Talking about justification and works we know that we're justified by faith and of course by the grace of God through our faith And and not by works, but listen to what he says He says while good works do not establish justification that is our salvation They do verify a genuine faith and make our justification evident to others so What does your faith? demonstrate to people around you if you didn't tell them about your salvation experience what would they see in your personality and in your attitude and in your actions that would demonstrate to them that you are a child of God would they see evidence that that Peter has listed here such as the goodness of of God. We see that goodness demonstrated in Christ. We see that demonstrated in his father and in their shared goodness towards us. Do you know we Jesus in his life here on earth masterfully exercised unrivaled discernment knowledge? Do you demonstrate the knowledge of God? Not, not just talking about the head knowledge of, 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 of intellectualism, but do you demonstrate the, the wisdom of God? in dealing with people and dealing with circumstances. Peter talked about, you know, in addition to your faith add in self-control, every Christian should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated that kind of self-control. You may recall in Matthew chapter 4, when he was out in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan to sin. And Jesus demonstrated for us and modeled for us that kind of self-control. Jesus' suffering was a lesson in endurance. Look what Jesus endured 2,000 plus years ago there in, in Jerusalem and then outside of the walls of Jerusalem when he was tortured unjustly he was he was crucified without a true conviction and yet he endured it with love and with grace so much so that he could look down upon his accusers and say father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing Jesus modeled for us not only that but he modeled good and godly deeds Everything Jesus did, did all the lessons he taught, all the miracles he worked, everything that Christ did, he was always pointing to God the Father jesus was looking for ways to demonstrate the love of god in tangible ways he could tell people about the love of god and how much god loved them but let me tell you something when he reached down and took the hand of a a lame man that had never walked and, and caused him to walk or gave sight to a person that had never had sight before or he cleansed the person from leprosy, a dreaded disease that virtually condemned them to, to be an outcast. Listen, when Jesus demonstrated through good deeds, the love of God, not only did it get the attention of the recipient of that miracle, but it got the attention of those around. Same thing with God's people today. When we demonstrate the love of Christ by reaching out to those who are hurting and struggling and we demonstrate the affection of God, the the love of God. Listen, they can see in us that there's something different. There's something unique. There's something that is not of this world about us that sets us apart. And there's a door that opens up the opportunity. Listen, just in the way that we show what Peter called brotherly affection. And sisters, I'll include you in that because he's talking generically there. That's the way that we relate to one another as as Christians. It's a horrible witness for a Christian or for a church when when God's people are attacking one another and accusing one another and and, and, undermining one another. That's not what Christ said. Jesus said in in John chapter 13 verse 34 and 35, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, speaking to his disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. And imagine how those words continued to resonate in the minds and the hearts of John and Peter and James and Andrew and all of those disciples after Jesus had been crucified, after having witnessed what Jesus did for them. And for you and me, and given his own innocent life as a sacrifice to make it possible that they might have forgiveness of their sins. Listen, there's Jesus said in John 15, 13, there's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. So when Jesus says, love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as I have loved you, is that... demonstration or representation of the love that you have for fellow Christians you see all of this all of this points to godly lives that point to the very God who enabled us and empowers us to live that life it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful compliment when somebody that works with you or somebody in your class if you're in school or neighbor says to you you know I, I just noticed you're different. Now I don't I don't mean you need to go out there and live weird lives, you know, eating lizards and you know and and having green paint on your face. now no, don't don't do weird things to draw attention to yourself, but but when when the rest of the world is suspicious and angry and revengeful and hurtful and immoral, and you choose not to go that path, but you choose to go in a path of godliness and love and understanding, and forgiveness, and unselfish demonstration of love, listen, that sets you apart. And and after a while, if those who know you and are watching you, they see the distinction between you and those who don't have Christ, eventually somebody's going to say, hey, what is it with you? What is it with you? Your godly living that is made as a result of The grace of God and the effort that you put in to follow in Christ and obey in Christ and put in the principles of his word into affecting your life will draw the attention of those who are watching you. I remember years ago, a Sunday school teacher telling our class, he said, be mindful of the life that you live. Because you don't realize it, but you may be the best Christian somebody knows don't assume people aren't watching the way you live and you see God equips us to live a life of godliness not so that people will brag about us not so that we get puffed up and have prideful thoughts about ourselves but so that God gets the glory For every person that notices that you're different and and they see great qualities in you that that causes them to want to imitate that, that, that causes them to want to pursue that, then it gives glory to God. When you can open your mouth and say, it's not me. I can't take credit. This is not the way I've always been. You've got to understand, before Jesus came into my life, before Christ became my Lord, I was selfish. I was immoral. I was jealous and and and, and greedy and and you could go on. Oh, but but thanks to God, he's given me a new life. And that includes being able to live a life of godliness. Let me move on to the third point. As we look further here in 2nd Peter in chapter 1 at verse 8 through 11, Peter says for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, Do you realize that you should be a better Christian today than you were yesterday? And you should be a better Christian tomorrow than you are today. Just as we celebrate physical growth and physical maturity, we should celebrate spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And he says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being useless are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. You know when you live your life as, as a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a Christian and yet your life is is, is bare of spiritual fruit. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, If you abide in me or he who abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That should be just like a, a bountiful fruit tree, all of that, all over your life it's a wonderful thing to go into an orchard. You know, you're looking for good fruit and you see trees that are just hanging with the branches with big, plump, juicy fruit. Not the tree and gum. But just the fact that, you know, your life is just full of the fruit that that exudes from your life that represents. But then what a shame it is. What a tragedy it is for people who claim to be Christians. And you look at their lives. And you don't see that. You don't see the fruit that pleases God. And this is what Peter's saying. We shouldn't be that person who lacks these things because they're blind. They're short sighted. They, they, They don't see what God is expecting of their lives. They're looking at the things of the world. They're looking at the things of the flesh. They're concentrating on other things that are not important in the eternal scheme of things. They've forgotten that they have been set apart by God and cleansed from their sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been called to be the people of God. In verse 10, he goes on to say, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. There, right there, folks, is the heart of what Peter is driving at in this epistle. That's what he's after. He's saying, make every effort. Do everything you can. Get up in the morning with it on your mind. As you go through the day, think about it. As you lay down at night, evaluate. Evaluate. Has my life confirmed to those around me that I have been called by and elected by God and saved by his son, Jesus Christ? Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. It doesn't mean that you won't be, that you'll be perfect. It simply means that when you are living the the Christian life and and a, a life of godliness and consciously striving, To accomplish the things, the qualities in your life or to let the spirit of God manifest in you the the qualities that bring glory to God. When that is your ultimate goal. Listen, chances are you won't be stumbling a lot because you'll be walking a path, a straight line in God's word for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you this this is where we get the assurance of our salvation when we reach the end of our lives and 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 you know and and as people go along through life they think about the the final outcome of their life what assurance do you have that when you reach that last day in your life and we don't know when that's coming you know it's not just a, a a thing that those who are older Think about, look, death comes to anybody at, at any time. And we all need to know that when life is over on this earth, that we have assurance of that eternal life, that we will enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Peter was talking about there. Sanctification sometimes is an intimidating word there in your study guide on page 50 he talks about it. and it simply means being set apart but let me just read what he said he says after we are justified by faith declared to be in right standing with god through the righteousness of christ we undergo a lifetime of sanctification where we are continually made more like christ through the work of the holy spirit Sanctification affects the whole of a person, transforming one's heart, mind and character to reflect that of Jesus. It's not just having knowledge about the Lord. It's knowing the Lord. Do you truly know him by faith? Do you truly know him through experiencing him in the word? Do you truly know? jesus christ in a personal way through your time of prayer and engaging him in, in spiritual conversation do you truly know him by by continually consciously allowing him to live through you in your relationship with others and in doing the things that you do in your life you know god is so gracious to be able to provide everything we need equip us to live a life of godliness that brings him much, much glory. You know, the lesson writer used the illustration of an apple seed, you know, apple seed is pretty small and and insignificant. You take that little apple seed and you, you plant it into nice fertile soil and, and over time you water that and you know, that little apple seed, then sun shines, down and starts to warm the earth and it begins to sprout roots. That that little apple seed that's barely noticeable before all of a sudden begins to sprout up. And over a few years, after a while, that little apple tree that was just a sprig sticking up out of the soil is now a big thick trunk tree that's bare and forth big branches. And before you know it, that apple seed that nobody hardly took note of now, as they walk by and they see all these. Beautiful apples hanging from it. Oh, that, listen, it's something of that is noteworthy. Our faith. Jesus spoke of faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, when we first start out in our journey of life, we have that little bit of uh, that little seed of faith in Christ. And we plant it into the rich soil of our hearts that are open and receptive to the Lord. And the spirit of God just rains down upon that that life. Our hearts with that little bit of faith, but then after a while, as that faith takes hold in our lives and we begin to to grow and to to mature, before you know it, then we see a life of godliness beginning to sprout up before people people who at maybe your salvation or when you first became a Christian just hardly gave any notice to you. Suddenly now they're looking at a person whose life is dominated by the power of the Spirit of God, a, a life of godliness. And And righteousness, and they take note because you're bearing forth fruit that brings much, much glory to God. First and foremost, you need to remember what Peter says: God equips you to experience eternal life. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough, you can't do enough works. You can't give enough in charity. You can't be moral enough to be saved. But you see, God equips us to receive Christ because he chooses us and he calls us and the spirit of God convicts our hearts. So God gives us everything to be saved. He supplies the savior. But also then God provides and equips us with everything we need To live a life sanctified and set apart and and godly that that confirms to those looking around that you're you're Christian. I went into I was telling somebody I went into a rest stop. I was going up to visit my dad and went into rest stop and was coming out of the men's restroom and this little boy, his dad was just ahead of me and yeah I greeted them when they came in. And I said, hey there, you know, I just made a little small talk with him. He was a handsome little fella, reminded me of me when I was a kid. But anyway, uh, modest too. And uh, and I just struck up a little conversation and I went on about my business, washing my hands, and he was getting ready to go out. And he turned around and he looked at me. He was, you know, serious. His dad had already gone. He turned around and looked at me just as serious. He said, mister, are you a dentist? <laughs> I was waiting on him and say, Mr. Are you a preacher? I was like, Well, sure, son. Yeah, here's my card. <laughs> are you a dentist? And I got me off guard and I said, Well, actually, I'm not. Why, why do you ask? And he says, you know, because you're so nice. Well, obviously, he didn't have my dentist. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but but you know, people watch the, the qualities in your life. One of the greatest compliments anybody could ever pay you is before you even tell them that you're a Christian, is for them to be able to just have watched you and say, You know, I, I, I bet you are a Christian. You've, there can't be any better compliment for people to see the qualities of godliness in you so much so that it confirms to them that you are indeed a child of God. You know, when we think about this. This day, this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the fact that God loves us so much that he did everything that eternal God could do to provide the way for us to be saved from the awful penalty of our sins. And to be able to experience the wonderful joy of salvation and to have the assurance of knowing that when we die, we will go to heaven and spend eternity in the presence of God. But before we leave this world, we have the opportunity to to live rich and fruitful, spiritual, fruitful lives that will count. So that years, when you're gone, people still talk about what a wonderful, godly person you were and the impact that you made upon their lives. Listen, there's... No amount of money can compare to having a legacy of faith like that. And it was all made possible because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, took on the form of man, revealed the love of God, the kingdom of God, and then at the appointed time became the precious lamb of God. Gave his life, shed his precious sinless blood on that cross in agony died for you and me and was raised from the grave three days later just as he said he would by the power and the glory of god so that through his resurrection we shall live forever i would like to close with this brief video if we our technical team can pull it up there that i think summarizes us a,